How many of you guys for New Year's have made resolutions? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, that's, that's like uh, maybe one out of every four or five people. Okay, good, because this, this message is going to be very relevant then. Um, I think when it comes to New Year's resolutions, some people, um, they're just hardwired. And they're just very driven, right? And so they've separated all of life into these different categories, and they've made little, like, goals for each compartment of life, and they probably put it on, like, a note card and carry it with them. But then there's other, others of us, like four out of five people here today. And maybe you, you haven't made resolutions because you haven't got around to it. Or maybe it's like you've done it in the past. You've made these resolutions, and then you, you didn't follow through, and you felt really bad about it. So when the new year came around, it's like, I'm not going to make more resolutions and not follow through, so I'm going to make a resolution not to make a resolution and kind of guard my sense of self-esteem, right? Now I, I, now, I just wanted to start off with a little bit of a confession, okay? This is just me being very honest. Six months ago, I made a bet with my brother, Okay? And we were thinking about our health and our physical fitness. My brother was supposed to, by the end of this year, lose a certain amount of weight. I'm not supposed to share it in front of, in public, you know, because out of respect for my brother, 30 pounds. And (laughs) I was supposed to get a six pack by the end of the year. Now, you guys are sizing me up to go, did he make it? Did he not make it? I would say this. There was one time... When my son saw me and I was working out, and he goes, Papa, Papa, I think I see a two-pack emerging. <laughs> or maybe three. Oh, no, no, just one. Okay, so the, the, if one person got it and the other person didn't, the loser would owe the winner $400. We're high rollers. That's how we roll. It's the only thing that would motivate my brother. If it was 20 bucks, he wouldn't be motivated. So I had to, I had to think big, right? So at the end of the year... How many of you guys think, like my brother, one, that it's easier to lose 30 pounds? Anyone think it's easier to get a six-pack? Let me tell you, it's not easy to get a six-pack. Are you kidding me? Okay, so clearly I didn't win the bet, but I also didn't lose the bet. Okay, I don't owe my brother anything. So I guess that makes us both losers or something, right? But, but so, so now at the end of the year, we had a choice. We could either just cancel the bet or we could renew the bet and I could do the same thing as I did last year. Now, it seems like when we're thinking about resolutions and we've made these goals and we failed these goals, it seems like those are the only two choices. Either I don't make any more resolutions or I make, I renew those resolutions, but I apply the same game plan as the year before, which is not really very attractive because you're destined to fail again and feel bad again. Now, I want to say there is a third option. And that third option is to renew, which is what I did with my brother, is to renew the bet, renew the goal. But this time, get more help. (laughs) And I think that's often the option that we ignore, or we're not even aware that that's an option. Yes, that is an option. We renew, and we get even more aggressive And we get even more help. Now, let me contextualize our motivation by quoting Paul. Okay, let's go to Philippians 
chapter 3, verse 12. And, and I think there's something about Paul's drive that I'm hoping will be contagious when we think about New Year's and resolutions and goals, okay? Well, this is what Paul said. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Now, what he's talking about is like, I haven't arrived yet. The goal of my life is to become like Jesus. I'm not there yet. Not that I have already obtained this. I haven't attained it yet. But I press on. Let me hear you guys say press on. Press on. Now, my encouragement to you guys when it comes to resolutions, and I'm not just talking about losing weight or or coming up with these goals so I can be more successful or, or, you know, I can shine. I'm talking about living a life that's totally abandoned to the purposes of God. I'm talking a life where we really make God and his kingdom our first priority. And Paul says, I press on. I press on to make it my own. Now, let me, let me just, I got to make this point. Paul cannot start a sentence talking about his pursuit of God without finishing it by talking about God's pursuit of him. He can't talk about his passion, his love for God, without finishing it about God's love for him, God's pursuit of him. So it almost seems like his resolutions, his goals, are the only appropriate response for a God that gave up everything through his son. That's the big picture. And my life is simply a response. My pressing on towards these goals is the only appropriate response. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He came. He gave up everything for me. And so I'm going to live a life pressing on for his purpose. Thirteen brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forget 2013, and straining forward. That you may, hear you guys say straining forward. Straining forward to what lies in. Now look at these words. I press on. I strain forward. Fourteen, I press on again. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, Paul's like, like, if you're mature, you'll take on the same attitude as me. And what's my attitude? I press on. I don't give up. I renew those covenants. I renew those resolutions. And actually, I get even more aggressive, more intentional, more plans, more fire, more drive, more strategic thought more help. But I don't give up. And I don't just say, simply say, I'm going to do the same thing I did last year. I'm going to add more to this fire. I'm going to make this my first priority because Jesus made me his first priority when he came down and gave up everything. So I'm going to do the same. So how about those resolutions? How about those resolutions? You're like, I haven't got around to it. We're actually going to give you some time today to get around to it. Because it's that important. It's that important. So I I say that I wanted to give you guys a life assessment tool. And really, this is me trying to be as helpful to you as possible. I love you guys. Uh, God has called me as, as a pastor in this church. And I'm thinking, what's the most helpful thing? Use of this. It was very helpful to me. I want to give you the best of what was helpful to me. Okay? 
Now, what this tool does, it, it helps you do a self-assessment of how you're doing commitments. Now, it's a very Americanized. I added one more commitment that's not there, and I'll tell you about it later, okay? Let me go through each of these questions. Again, want to give you the most helpful tool. Here it is. The 10 life assessment questions. This is by Steve Stroop from Tribal Church. By the way, as I'm articulating these to you, can you, by the left, take out a pencil or pen and give yourself a self-rating from one to five? Okay? Five is excellent. One is poor. And this is where you guys can be kind of interactive. Now, uh, Malcolm Gladwell would say that your first initial impression is probably your best judgment. Because God has hardwired your mind so that it actually sifts through all the things and picks the most necessary criteria for making a judgment. So your, your snap judgment, your first impression, actually probably your best judgment. I don't know if that's completely true, but let's just try that, okay? So, fitness... Number one, spiritual fitness. Am I becoming more like Jesus through practicing spiritual disciplines? Go, help and go ahead and give yourself a rating, one, one to five. Am I becoming more like Jesus through practicing self-disciplines? Number two, intellectual fitness. Am I listening and reading to learn from others? Am I listening and reading to learn from others? That's intellectual fitness. Number three, relational fitness. Am I cultivating same-gender friendships to speak into my life? Now, all these questions are very gospel-oriented, as they should be, okay? Am I cultivating same-gender friendships to speak into my life? Go ahead and give yourself a rating from one to five. Physical fitness. Am I being a good steward of my body? Am I being a good steward of my body? Okay, let's talk about faithfulness. Four questions. First, parenting. Now, if, if you don't have kids, this one doesn't apply. That's okay. Am I investing in the faith of my children? Give yourself a rating, one to five. Am I investing in the faith of my children? Marriage. Am I loving and serving my spouse? Am I loving and serving my spouse? Okay, if you have no intentions of getting married, this one doesn't apply. But if you're... Uh, if you're single and you'd like to be married, then am I saving and preparing myself to be a Christ-like spouse? That would be the question. Am I saving and preparing myself to be a Christ-like spouse? Finances. Am I living simply and giving generously? By the way, that's our next series. Am I living simply and giving generously? Am I going beyond the tithe? Give yourself a rating, one to five. Career. Am I leveraging my unique strengths in my work? Am I leveraging my unique strengths in my work? Now, if you're a student, I would ask you, are you doing your best to learn so that one day you can leverage your unique strengths in your work? <clears throat> okay, the, the last two, the category that is fruitfulness. So, discipleship. Am I investing in new believers and young leaders? Am I investing in new believers and young leaders? One through five. And evangelism. Am I sharing Christ with the unchurched? Am I sharing Christ with those who don't know Christ? That's, that'll be the last one. Okay, now let me say a, a few words to try to integrate these ten. Now, actually, what I've done is I've memorized all these ten. So that at any given point, I can be thinking about my life holistically. 
But here's a way you can kind of integrate these 10 and see how they actually kind of flow together. Now, I would summarize all these 10 by saying two statements. Live your faith and share your story. That's the title of this message. Live your faith and share your story. Now, here's the idea. If you really make the first commitment your priority, if you fully engage with commitment number one, which is to be more like Jesus, then what you will see happen is that commitment will find its expression in all the other categories, number two through ten. In other words, if you make becoming like Jesus your, your, your heart's priority, then all the areas of life become opportunities where you can express that. If, if you really go deep with the message that God loves you so much that he gave his own son for you, then how do I work the implications of that message into every area of life? Like my finances, like my career, like my marriage, like my parenting, like my schoolwork. Oh, by the way, I forgot one. There's honor your parents. So this is very Americanized. I imagine my mother going, there's nothing there for me. You know, uh, so, you know, you might add, am I honoring my parents as, you know, number, the one after marriage? Now, If you fully give yourself to number one, it spills over into every category of life. And then when you do that, what happens is your life becomes exciting and different because there's a supernatural being making these changes in your life and there's power. And what you have are these stories. And then I don't have to tell you the second part of those two statements with your share. I don't have to say that because you have these stories and the most natural thing you want to do is share your story. Really, I don't even have to say share your story. All I need to say is live your faith. And if you really work through the implications of that message that God gave up everything for you, and you work it through, your life is going to be different. And when your life is different, you have these stories. And the most natural thing to do is just share your story. Now, what I want to do for the rest of this message is just focused on number 10, evangelism. Okay, so we're taking a little bit of a turn. We're just going to talk about number 10. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One reason is that throughout the whole year, this probably is a topic that I give less, the least amount of attention to. I don't know why that it just happened. But also, there's been some really cool things happening in our church uh, where leaders have actually felt moved by the Spirit to share their faith. And so when I see that, I got to celebrate it. So I actually wanted to celebrate it, you know, later on during this message. But we're just going to talk for the rest of the message about number 10. So we went big picture. Now we're going to go small picture and focus on number 10. Okay, everyone with me? No one's lost? Okay, now let's talk about evangelism. Let's talk about sharing your faith, okay? Now first, I actually uh, want to quote someone else. I was listening to this talk by Nikki Toyama one time. And she was talking to a group of Asians, and she said this. She said, Asians have this really bad reputation for being not so good at evangelism. You know, Asians, they've been taught to assimilate, to flow, not make any waves, kind of blend in, be PC, you know? And so when it comes to evangelism, we can kind of be a little bit wallflower-ish, you know, not, not terribly effective. But she goes, you know, that is completely not true. 
It's not true that Asians are bad at evangelism. And he's like, I'll give you an example. There was one time, like near Berkeley, there was a shrimp dumpling restaurant that just opened. And they made the most delicious shrimp dumplings for the cheapest kind of price. And word got out, especially through the Asians, there was this amazing shrimp dumpling place. And that opening weekend, that place was just packed full of Asian people who got there by word of mouth. Like it was mom was there and relatives were there and, and yeah, yeah, and Popo were there. Everyone was there. Now she's telling me, don't be saying that Asian people are bad at evangelism. They're just really good at getting the word out when they're excited about something. Are, are, are you guys excited about something? Now, I, I understand that, that the gospel of shrimp dumplings is an exciting thing, but, but isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ more exciting? And when you're excited, it's not like, oh, you've got to share your... No, it's like you can't stop from sharing because you want to share because it's really cool. Now, if you really live your faith and work that through every part of life, it is exciting. It is exciting. And then you got stories. And then, well, just do the most natural thing. Just share your story. Why don't you turn with me to Acts 22? Turn with me to Acts chapter 22. Okay, um, I'm going to start reading and then I'm going to start explaining. This is from Paul. He's getting in front of a very hostile crowd. And these are the first words he says. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Now, let me just tell you a little bit of the context, okay? Paul is before this hostile crowd that just wants to rip him to shreds. Now, he knew this was going to happen. If you look in the, the previous chapter, there was this prophet that got up and said, Paul took, took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet with it and said, Paul, the owner of this belt, when he goes into Jerusalem, is going to be bound with his, with his, with his uh, feet and his, and, his, and his arms. And so Paul knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest him. They're going to bind him. And so he has time to prepare for what he's going to say. Now, he, now he's going back to Jerusalem, his homeland, his own people, his own brothers and sisters, his own people, right? And so he has a lot of time to think about what he's going to say. Now, now this is the Apostle Paul. And you think, okay, what do you think he would say when he's, when he's with a, a group of people that have never heard about the good news of Jesus Christ? And you think about Paul, and you know Paul is a deep theologian, deep theologian. And you think he's probably going to share some of the contents of, like, what he wrote in Romans. You know, he's going to, he's going to go the Roman road articulation of, of, the, of the good news of Jesus. Or, or he's, he's going to do something like, you know, the four spiritual laws. Or, or maybe he'll take a page from like Kirk Cameron and do, are you good enough? You know, or, or maybe it's going to be like the traditional, if you were to die tonight, where will you be tomorrow? I mean, something like that. Now, normally when we talk about evangelism, that's naturally what you guys think about. Oh, it's the four spiritual laws, right? And it's kind of spooky, it's kind of intimidating. We kind of go, well, you know, I, 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 I feel like I'm going to screw it up. I don't know if I'm going to, going to really, I feel like I'm a good, I don't know enough to be able to share. And, and, and what we see in Acts 22 is Paul just shares his story. 
He just shares very naturally, this is my story. It doesn't have to be spooky or super intimidating. You can just tell your story. Verse 2. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, so here's, you know, here's a minor point. Paul was speaking to them in their own language. So if you're at work, there's probably a language of work. If you're in your family, there's certain inside jokes, values. There's probably a language. Paul speaks to them in their own language. Okay? And they became even more quiet. Oh, now he's speaking Aramaic. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Um, by the way, we're going to go through this really quickly. I know you could spend a lot of time here, but I just want to do broad strokes with, the, with, this, uh, with this passage. So, brought up the feet of Gamaliel. You know, I, I, I went to Cal. I went to Harvard, right? Um, I was really, really well educated. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Okay, now here's, this, here's the first part of his speech. Now, what's the main idea? What is he trying to do? Paul, in this first part, is saying, look, I am just like one of you guys. Um, He's speaking to his own people. I was just like you, thinking what you thought. You guys hate cult leaders. I hated them probably more. You you hate the way they take the word of God and distort it. I hated, because I thought Christians were doing that. I hated them for doing that. I persecuted them. You know, Paul might even say, not only was I one of you, but I was the best of one of you. Maybe we shouldn't take a page by saying we're the best, but that's kind of what he's saying. I'm just like you guys, just like you. And then the next paragraph, he kind of says, but then something happened. And then look, look, look. Verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So right here in this paragraph, Paul is saying, look, I was one of you and then something happened to me. I encountered Jesus. I realized that he really was God. I didn't intend that. It just happened to me. This is my experience. It happened. I met Jesus, and he spoke into my life, and things started changing. And just what happened? What what was Paul doing? He's just sharing his story. 
Now again, I think when it comes to evangelism, this is intimidating, I might say the wrong thing. You guys, just tell your story. If you're living your faith, your life is going to be story-worthy. There's a supernatural agent working in your life, changing things. When he changes things, you have a story. Can it just be as easy as sharing your story? Isn't it very natural when you're hanging out with people and say, Hey, you know, I, this thing just happened to me last month. Or this just happened to me last week. Why does sharing about God have to be such a spooky thing? If God's at the center of your life and you're just sharing about your life, oh man, you got a lot of stories about God. And it should be very natural that just... That just you know, I was with uh, Raina's uh, relatives. None of them believe. And we were talking about Tijuana because uh, Mexico and vacationing. I'm like, oh, I just went to Tijuana. I went on a mission trip with my son. It was so cool, the experience. And we were sitting in this dining room, and I'm like, you know, we built a house in one day. And my son was like, you know, swinging around, hitting nails. And, and you know, afterwards, you just swing around the hammer. I mean, it's just a minor miracle. He didn't like, you know, hammer someone in the head. But we made this house, and, it was, and we're sitting in this dining room. And it was no bigger than this room. And everyone's like, really? Wow. Yeah, and I, I went around thinking, my house is so much bigger. And they have a whole family in this little, tiny house. And it just made me feel like, oh, my gosh. We are so privileged to be in America. I was just sharing this, this, this story about how my faith has made a difference and I, I would have this experience and I wouldn't otherwise have this experience because God's in my life and I, I feel compelled to go to places like Tijuana and build homes for people who are poor. And one of Raina's relatives followed me afterwards and said, I really appreciate how you shared that story. It's just, it just, it just such a cool thing that you shared. Look, if you guys are living your faith, then you just talk about your life. It's about the natural thing, isn't it? Verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed them. And he said to me, go, I will send you to a far away place to the Gentiles. Paul was right now trying to explain to them why he was like this missionary to Gentile people. He was doing something very extraordinary with this. It demanded explanation. They were really angry at him. And he's like, well, look, I actually had this conversation with God. And I thought that you guys would accept me, but God was the one convincing me that I actually have to go to these faraway lands because you wouldn't accept me. But he has to explain his life because his life is radical. It's different. It's exciting. He has to explain it. I had this conversation with God. He made the difference in my life. Are you living a life that demands explanation? Do you have stories because you're living your faith? Stories of God where he's the hero. And the most natural thing is just to tell your story. I'd like to call up uh, Monty to come forward. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to celebrate commitment number 10 was because I I caught Monty simply to sharing his story. And he, he shared a story 
at his mother's memorial service. And he did it in such a compelling way. I just thought, that is awesome. I want to bring that to, to tell the church about it. So, Monty, um, let's give you a mic. If you would just tell us what happened at your mother's memorial service, that would be great. Talk a little bit about uh, leading up to it. Um, my mom passed away um, a week before Thanksgiving. Uh, she was uh, almost 94 years old, and uh, it's still hard to believe that sometimes that she's gone. But she lived a good long life. Um, the last few years, she had a lot of problems with dementia, which really worsened over the last few months before she passed. Um, physically, uh, she had problems uh, hearing, she had problems seeing, uh, but it wasn't really until the last year she really struggled with physically as far as her heart, and she was in and out of the hospital. And finally, um, my, my siblings and I decided that it was best that she should go into hospice care. Um, so after we put her into hospice care, uh, we had a meeting. Uh, there's, there's four of us. I'm the youngest of four. I'm the only one who's a believer. And we decided to discuss um, what to do for her memorial service, which we had no idea what was going to happen, but we were trying to be proactive. And uh, one of my siblings said, uh, well, I think my mom, we should have a Christian service. I was going, wow. And uh, especially since I'm the only believer, so of course I was one not to disagree. And um, so we all agreed that it would be a Christian service. And they said, well, who do you think should preside over it? And I said, well, it makes sense uh, that it should be uh, Pastor Calvin Yim because, uh, number one, he's the pastor of our, my church. And number two, he actually knows our family. He, uh, Calvin and I are kind of sort of distantly related. His mom and my father are from the same village, and we used to see them when we were little at banquets and stuff. And so my brother said, Calvin Yim, isn't he a dentist? And I go, uh... Yeah, uh, but he's a pastor. And he goes, well, how long has he been a pastor for? And I said, well, he's been a pastor for over 10 years. He goes, God, that's hard to believe. I said, you have a hard time believing that sometime too. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, sorry, Calvin. Um, <laughs> but actually, Calvin did an amazing job. And there was a lot of people after the service who said, wow, that was a great service. Your pastor was great. So thank you, Calvin. That was, it was, it was great. Um, we also decided that there'd be uh, the four of us would share uh, something personally from our hearts about my mom. And uh, since I'm the youngest, I was the last of the four to share. And so I prayed about what I wanted to share. And it was God made it really clear to me that I needed to share about the last days when my mom decided to, uh, to accept Jesus as her Savior. So, um, so when my mom went into hospice care, a few days later, I was... Um, Skyping with my son Jordan, and I was telling him, I said, hey, hey Jordan, uh, we decided to put Grandma into hospice care. And he says, well, what are you doing for her? And I said, well, we're making her feel more comfortable. I didn't really know if he understood what hospice was. He goes, yeah, I know, but, like, does, does Grandma still understand things? And I go, uh, a little bit. She's really losing it. I mean, at this point, my mom could not... She did not remember that I was married. She surely didn't remember Leslie's name. She didn't remember that I had two kids. She didn't, so obviously she didn't remember Jeremy Jordan or their names. But she recognized us, 
And the one thing she did still remember always was, whenever we came in, is, do I have to pay for this? Because she, <laughs> she was always said, oh, yeah, mom, insurance covers everything. Don't worry about it. So uh, that was actually a lie, but I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, um, so, she just, she, so she was oriented. So I, I was very convicted by what Jordan had to say. Jordan says, you really need to share Jesus with Grandma. So I said, all right, Jordan. I said, I've tried several times before. Uh, she hasn't been open to it, but I promise you I will pray about it, and I will try again. So I did pray about it. And um, on November 6th, which coincidentally, or maybe not, was my sister's uh, 60th birthday, in the afternoon I was, I was at my mom's uh, bedside in her room by just the two of us. And she was kind of, I was holding her hand, and um, I said to her, I said, Mom, do you, do you know who Jesus is? And my mom said, he saved the world. And I was just like totally blown away. I mean, I really didn't expect anything like that. And I said, you're right, Mom. He saved the world. Do you remember who he is? And she said, he's the son of God. And I said, wow, you're right, Mom. I said, do you know, you know how he saved the world? He saved the world because he died for our sins. He died for my sins, Mom, and he died for your sins. Do you believe that? She said, yes. I said, Mom, do you accept Jesus as your Savior? And my mom said, yes. And then she fell asleep. But even over the subsequent couple days, when I would ask her, I said, Mom, do you remember who Jesus is? And she goes, yeah, he's Christ the God. So there was a, it was amazing to me that that my mom, who was so, had so much problems understanding anything, that God blessed her. And with his mercy and his love, that he allowed her to, to know him in her last days. And I wanted to share that with the people at the service. Because when I go to a memorial service, I, you know, you think about a lot of things. You think about that you see this person's life, and you think of your own life. You go, well... What, are, what have I done? Who have I touched? What will people say about me? And, and in the end, really, none of those things really matter that much. But what's, what, we need to, what people need to hear in a memorial service, a Christian memorial service, is that there is hope. And our hope is in Jesus. And I wanted to share that with the people, and I hope that people were touched. And I had several people who felt like Christian and not Christian, who felt they were very touched by the, the, the miracle of my mom. So I wanted to share that with you. I was talking to Monty and just felt that that story wasn't just for Monty, although it was for Monty. And it wasn't just for his family, although it was for his family. And it wasn't just for everyone at the memorial service, although it was. But it was also for everyone here to encourage us to be bold. We have a story to share. Don't hold back. Share that story. Now, let me revisit those opening words of Paul. And then we're going to have a time to just reflect and actually use that life assessment tool. And what I'm, going to, what I'm going to do is just actually kind of guide you through it and ask the Holy Spirit to help you guys make some goals for 2014. Because we don't want to just make some goals and do the same as last year. We want to make some goals 
and we want to get help, and we want to be intentional, and we want to press on. Now, this is what Paul said, if you remember. Not that I have already attained this, already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of you who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's press on. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And what I want you to do is, is look through that life assessment, those 10 questions. Now, originally, I asked you guys to put numbers and give yourself a self-rating. I want you to review those numbers. Give it a second thought. Is that accurate? Maybe you left some blank because you're like, I don't really know. Well, go back to these now. What I want to do is give you a couple minutes to just to really process through, not just one or two areas, but the totality of your life in commitments that are really important. Remembering that the first commitment is most important and all the other commitments are places where you work through that first commitment. Now, what I'd like you to do is just to look at that sheet and look at all your self-ratings. Maybe you have some fives there. Maybe you have some ones there. What people normally do is they just look at the weaknesses and they just build like goals and action steps to shore up the weaknesses. And you don't necessarily need to do that. I think a good way to grow is to soar with your strengths and to shore up your weaknesses. So don't just be um, unbalanced in thinking about the places where you're weak. Think also about the places of strength. Now, what I want you to do is prayerfully discern three action steps that you could accomplish in a month. We're not talking about a year from now. Just 
a month, just a step forward, three action steps. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to revisit this assessment every week. Every week. Again, we're not going to do the same thing we did last year and fail in in many places. What we want to do is we want to do it again with a renewed sense of strategy and purpose and passion. You know, desperate for God's help. And so what we want to do is continually follow through, review on a weekly basis. If you can't do a weekly basis, do a monthly basis at least. But we want to do it again, but get more help. So what I want you to do in the, ne- in the next couple of minutes is pray, just ask the Holy Spirit, what three action steps do you want me to take in the next month? I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit on, your, on all of our behalves. Holy Spirit, you know best how people grow. Please show us, lead us, guide us. What three action steps would you call us to do? We are inspired by Monty's story. Maybe you want us to be more proactive about just sharing, just sharing our story. But please guide us in this time. And I want you guys just to go come up with three action steps for this coming month for how you can press on towards the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. I'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. Now, if you have um, written down those three action steps, I want you just to hold that in your hand. And if you're like me, I think when you come up with goals, my first response personally is this sense of like, ah, I've tried this before and it doesn't work. I, I don't trust myself. 
I think that actually is a good place to be. Because when you're there, then you're trusting in the power of God. Then you're desperate to say, God, help. So I think right now the most appropriate prayer would be a song. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. And I want you to make this song your own prayer. Which says, God, make my life a prayer to you. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers, no compromise. I want to shine my light you gave through your son. You sent to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know that you are there. I want to thank you now for being patient with me. Oh, it's so hard to see. Just believe what you say You're coming again Come to take me away I want to die And let you give your life to me So I might live To share the hope you gave to me set me free I want to tell the world out there you're not some fable or fairy tale that I've made up inside my head Son of God set me free 